in front of the church. Uh, so she signed while we sang the songs, while the preacher preached. Um, and I was watching Dan and Chrissy in the back signing all the words to that song. So I'm, I'm going, ooh, what's that word next? Out of my life, may Jesus shine, make me a blessing. You know, and I'll go, ooh, uh, just because, you know, when you've done it before, it's like, how many of you ever taken Spanish? Yeah, I took Spanish. I took three years of Spanish. I was pretty fluent in Spanish. I couldn't speak Spanish now if you paid me. Okay, I, I, I could pick up a little bit on it, but if you don't use it, you lose it. And so watching them just sing it, you know, talking about Savior and all those things I pray and watching them translate it into the language back there is pretty cool. So if I look distracted for a moment, I even missed a word or two because I was just going, wow. So, all right, Matthew chapter 5. Please, Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing to look at... Uh, Jesus being presented as the promised king of the Jews. All right, all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled to come here, and Matthew's focus on his gospel is to present the Jewish people with their king, that he has arrived. And um, we had talked about many of the things that happened, the herald of the king, the birth of the king, that recognition of the king by the wise men. We had talked about so many different things that Matthew focused on. The magi, those three wise men, excuse me, the wise men that came with three gifts. Okay? Uh, Matthew's the only one who records that okay? because he is trying to evidence out to the Jews that their king has come to fulfill the scripture. And we talked about Jesus calling. And again, I told you I'm going to keep reminding you this one. So the first uh, slide that we're going to see is just that reminder slide. All right, once we get to the slide. Okay, um, I hope you're in Matthew chapter 5, but the first slide, we're going to be talking about this morning about salt and light. Salt and light is where we are, but the, this, this is the reminder slide. Okay, remember the king's call. He calls to salvation, he calls to service, he calls to sacrifice, he calls to separate leadership, and he calls to shepherd. Where are you on this list? Okay, again, I'm not going to make the call. It's not my job. Okay, it's your job to ask the Lord, Father, where am I? Where, where should I fit? Are you a believer? Have you answered the call of salvation? Okay, that's the first and foremost thing we got to do. There's a lot of people in this world in Christendom who've got this backwards. They think they are serving the Lord, but they've never answered the first call. And that is become a believer. Okay, have your sins forgiven. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Then you can serve. Okay, and then after you're serving for a little while, you realize there's nothing else I can do. And I've told you this before. My wife and I basically came to a point in our lives that said, there's nothing else we can do but do this. Keep coming, Satan, whatever you can throw at us. We're not going to stop serving because that's what we're here to do. Okay, because you get to a point where, remember, the apostle says, and they left all and followed Christ, where you just turn and say, doesn't matter. If, if, if the rest of the world falls apart and everything in my life disappears and evaporates into nothing, I am still going to serve the Lord. And there's no question. Once you get to that point, then God can say, okay, great. Now I'm going to separate you out to be a leader. Okay, and then once you become a leader, you get to the point where God says, okay, feed my sheep. Okay, it's great that you're stepping up and, and, and taking on responsibilities and, uh, and ministry and things like that. But you know what? He wants you to take the word of God and share it with other people. 
And again, we talked about this before. I'm just going to keep reminding us of this. Uh, I love when people say, well, we have a snow shoveling ministry. No, you don't. Okay, because a ministry is sharing the word of God with somebody. Uh, you're not sharing the word of God with snowflakes. Well, who knows? In this world, people are called interesting things. Um, okay, but you don't have a vacuum cleaning ministry. That might be how you're serving, but that is not ministering. Now, if you happen to meet with a shoveling crew and have a little Bible study and prayer time before you do it, then that's different. Okay? But just as a reminder that the goal for every believer is to share God's word. Okay? Anything else has fallen a little bit short of what he wants us to do. Got that? That's the reminder slide. Just nod to make me happy. Because if not, I'm going to go all over it again. Okay? I've got your, your prisoners right now. I've got you. It's a hostage situation. Okay. Let's go on. We are talking about the Beatitudes, and we talked about the tenets of the kingdom, that God says, Jesus steps up and says, listen, I'm here, I am the king, the one that God has promised, and here is the constitution of my kingdom. You want to be happy, you want to be blessed, are they? Okay, let me give you some concepts about how somebody that wants to follow me, and we looked at all those Beatitudes, I don't need to list them out, but he gives us specific ones, and they're not what human beings would think are on high on the priority of being happy. Okay, mourning, being meek, being persecuted. Okay, all those things are not high on the list. And, oh, I want to be happy. Let's go get persecuted for Jesus' sake. Okay, it, let's, uh, I want to be happy. I, I want to mourn about my sin. You know, I, I'm a very hefty fellow. I won't say strong. Hefty fits, okay? Um, well, I, I need to go out and be meek. That is completely opposite of what the world teaches, isn't it? The world tells you look out for number one. Okay, God says look out for number one, him. Okay, put yourself aside. These are not things that, but Jesus is trying to make a point of if you are going to be one of my followers, if you're a believer, you ought to be reflecting these kind of characteristics in your life. Okay, now I had to go over that because Jesus is about to step up and say, okay, now that you understand what I expect from you as a person, now let's take it to the next step, and you're going to go out and be a witness for me. Let's read these few verses together, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but is cast out and trodden under foot of men you are the light of the world a city set upon a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and give it uh, light unto all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven let's pray heavenly father as you continue through Jesus Christ on this Sermon on the Mount, Lord, he's taught us things that should be evident in our lives as believers. And Father, you were speaking to a Jewish community here and telling them, listen, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that you would establish through your Messiah for the Jews, they ought to be acting a certain way too. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, as we see these adjustments we need to make to our individual lives, Lord, it doesn't stop there. As he deals with us on the inside, 
then he expects us to show it on the outside. And so, Father, I just pray you'd help us to understand these things. Lord, help us to get a fervor, get a zeal. Lord, I just pray you'd be with my mind and my mouth. Uh, Lord, help it to think and speak the things that you can use to help us all to learn better. And be, uh, It is not about me. I am not the teacher. Lord, you told us you left us with your Holy Spirit who would guide us in the truth, who would remind us of those things which you had taught us. And so, Father, I just happen to be the mouth that's speaking these things. But, Lord, it is your word, your power, your Holy Spirit. Lord, guide us today and help us, each one of us, to figure out what it is that we can do different to be more like you and to be more acceptable in your sight. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So this Sermon on the Mount continues, all right? Um, Jesus gives us two illustrations in this Sermon on the Mount about going out and witnessing as a believer. So Jesus said, go back a slide. Did I miss something? Yes. Okay. Okay, happy you remember. There are not uh, the types of things that the world... No, I said that. Okay, keep going. Yes, Sermon on the Mount. Two things, salt and light. Matter of fact, we get letters from missionaries. It's the, the uh, missionary group is called salt and light. Okay, from this very passage. Jesus gives us two illustrations here on how to be a witness. Now, I want to remind us, go ahead to the next slide, um, that members of God's kingdom, we put these principles into our life. All those eight beatitudes that we just saw, okay, they are tenets of the kingdom. They're the constitution. They're what Jesus said. Listen, if you're going to be a my follower, if you're going to be a member of my kingdom, this is the way you ought to be. Okay, now, I want to make sure we understand that in the next slide, I'll look at it, but even though this is written to Jews from a Jewish king, we can understand these same spiritual truths apply to us. Now, as we look at this today, when we talk about witnessing and going out and sharing a testimony about our Lord, you'd think that connects with the church a little bit more than it does with Israel. Okay, but we're going to see today that that has always been God's plan. Go to the next slide. Okay, the message was spoken to a Jewish audience, but God has always desired the children of Israel to be a witness to the whole world. Okay, remember, right in Genesis, right, as we see God call forth Abraham, he said, it, you're going to, through you, shall all the nations of the world be blessed. All through the Old Testament, the children of Israel's job was to take the message from Jehovah God to the whole world. Okay, now we saw that come to fruition right here with Jesus coming to earth and becoming king and dying for our sins. And we see how Messiah was set up to be the fixer of everything. Okay, but the message wasn't only given to the church. It was something that was given to Israel completely. So when Jesus is standing here speaking to Jews, okay, he is, the church wasn't here yet. There's no church. Okay, he is talking to the Jews saying, you need to be salt, you need to be light. Why? Because God has always wanted to reach the entire world with his message. That has been the goal from the very beginning. So he says, here's how I want you to be, and now please take that message to the whole world. Now you and I, on this side of the cross, in the church age, as Christians... We know that this is part of the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, baptizing and teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you. Okay, we are supposed to take that message of the gospel to every creature, the Bible says. But it didn't start with the church. This has been a command from God from the very beginning. 
Okay, go out and be salt. Go out and be light. Now, what does that mean? We'll get to that, all right? But that's, uh, next slide. Warning, the Sermon on the Mount is not instructions on how to become a Christian. It is how the Jews will properly represent their kingdom of the Messiah. We talked about this last week. I'll continue to talk about this. One of the difficulties in sometimes in Christianity is we'll look at this sermon and think that this is a commandment to the church. Now, I just said it, but I'll ask the question out loud just to see if you were paying attention. Okay, did the church exist yet? No, there was no church yet. Okay, at this point, he hasn't even called out one of the uh, uh, disciples yet. Okay, and we talk about that interesting concept of when did the church really begin? Was it when Jesus called the 12, or was it in Acts chapter 2 where he finally empowered the church with the Holy Spirit? Okay, we're, we, I talk about it's like a woman giving birth. And uh-oh, I'm going to talk about a subject that might be a little sensitive here for a moment. Um, a woman giving birth doesn't just happen, right? Mom and dad get together and boop, there's a baby. No, there's nine months that takes place. Okay, well, the birth of the church kind of happened the same way. He called his 12 and began to prepare them to be church leadership. But it didn't happen until the day of Pentecost when the church was finally uh, birthed, okay, and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. There's a section where God is transitioning. Now, I want to tell you that because that's one of the problems here. You know, four of the books in the Bible, which most false teachings come out of and cults and things like that, are derived from four different books. The book of Matthew, because it's written solely to the Jewish people, and people try to apply that to the church. The book of James, and if you read the first phrase in the book of James, it says, to the twelve tribes of Israel, not written to the church. Now, are there a lot of things we can learn from James? Of course. Are a lot of things we can learn from Matthew? I hope so, because we're wasting our time on Sunday mornings, if not. Another one is the book of Hebrews. Who is Hebrews written to? (laughs) Hebrews, okay, and then the last one is the book of Acts. The book of Acts is tricky because it starts with a Jewish culture in a Jewish church in Jerusalem and transitions to a Gentile church in Antioch as the home base. So it transitions from a primarily Jewish set of believers to a primarily Gentile set of believers. A lot of false doctrine is pulled out of those, uh, those books because they begin to think everything that was written there is applicable to the church, and it's not. You have to take it in context. When we're reading this book in Matthew, here the, the Sermon on the Mount, this, the church did not exist yet. So this is not commandments given directly to the church. Now, Yes, there's truth we can learn, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But it's very, very important that there are people who think, as long as I can live by the commandments I find in the Sermon on the Mount, then I'm a believer. If I could, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the they that mourn. As long as I'm that way, then I'm a believer. No, you are a believer when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Okay? The activity of keeping the law in the Old Testament didn't work to save you. The activity of keeping the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament doesn't save you. The blood of Jesus Christ saves you. Okay, and that's what's important that we understand. 
okay? You with me? Because I want to just, there are churches that focus so much on this that if you live according to these guidelines, then you're going to heaven. No, if you are a believer, you are going to heaven. If you've put Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are going to heaven. Only then can you actually even be capable of living by these guidelines. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. All right? Now, keep going. God has always wanted the believers to be evangelistic, to be a light spreading his message. Look, if you would, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I just want to put this into perspective. So how how we see Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews here and giving this commandment about salt and light. But we also know that this same commandment and this same message is given to us as a church. Matthew chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I'm in Romans. I don't know why I said Matthew. Uh, Romans chapter 15, look at verse 8. Okay, and starting here. Now I say that Jesus was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now catch that. Jesus was a minister to who? The circumcision. Okay, and to confirm the promises of the fathers. Whose fathers? Was it my father's? No, it was the children of Israel. The circumcision and the fathers. Listen, I didn't live in the Old Testament. None of my relatives, all those promises to the Old Testament Jews were to the Jews. Jesus came to minister to the Jews. He's their king. There's not a single Gentile that lived in that Roman kingdom that were going, hey, I wonder when our king's showing up. It was only the Hebrews that were promised the Messiah. Gentiles weren't looking for a Messiah. So this is why we understand how the book of Matthew and how this Jesus' life fits in as the church hasn't begun yet. Jesus came to minister to the Hebrews. That's why in a few weeks we're going to see Jesus sending them out and says, I don't want you to go to the house of the Gentiles. I want you to only go to the house of Israel. Because his initial message was to the Jews. Okay? Bless you. Things change. And Jesus in chapter 13 of Matthew, there's a transition. And he realizes the Jews are not listening. The Jews are rebelling. So you know what? I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But right now, he's still speaking to the Jews only. No, but listen, that doesn't mean we got a problem. Because didn't God say, and we already looked at, that from the very beginning, his desire was that the message would go to the whole world even though this was a message spoken to the jews and jesus came to confirm his position as messiah doesn't mean that the whole world didn't need to know about it right continue on in verse 9 and that the gentiles might glorify god for his mercy as it is written and i wrote down the references here in case you're interested these are all the quotes from this passage it says um is it a written for this cause I will confess among the Gentiles and sing unto that name. Again, he hath said, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, 
There shall uh, be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise and reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and uh, peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, brethren, that ye also are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and uh, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you uh, in some sort as putting you in mind because the grace of God, uh, the grace that is given to me of God, and here it is, that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and minister the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I therefore, whereof I may glorify the Lord Jesus, excuse me, through glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain unto God, for I dare not speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought in me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. That whole passage of Paul is saying, listen, Jesus came with a message to the Jews, to the uh, circumcision, but that message has never been disassociated or unavailable to the Gentiles. So Paul is trying to tell these guys, listen, I am taking the gospel to the Gentiles because that's how it's always been. Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah, but the offering has always been to the entire world. So I had to say all that. That's all introduction. Because when Jesus begins to say, you who are believers who want to be part of my kingdom and represent me are salt and light. Yes, he's speaking to the Jews, but that message is the same for the Gentiles. Because the message has always been so that the Gentiles would glory in God, so that they would change and be grown in word and deed. Okay, so the, the Apostle Paul is going, saying, listen, I'm, a, I'm just completing what the Old Testament ha- plan has been from the very beginning, to take all this to the Gentiles too. It's not just a Jewish gospel, it's for the whole world. Are you with me? Because now we're going to look at this a little bit closer. So, next slide. Keys to witnessing. Jesus said, all right, now that you've made this change in your life, ye are salt, you are light. Now, I wanted to make sure that's clear. Um, You know how many times in in, uh, uh, Acts, we're going to look at it in a minute, he says, you shall be witnesses. It doesn't say you should be salt. It doesn't say you should be light. You with me? In Matthew, we just read it, Matthew chapter 5. It says, you are salt, you are light. You are a witness. How many of you, well, I'm not even going to ask it out loud and embarrass you, but if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a witness. You don't have a question. It's just what kind of witness are you? And we'll be talking about that in depth because of what salt and light represent. If you are a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of his children, you are a member of his kingdom, and you do represent him whether you like it or not. You know what's crazy? I watch these videos sometimes, and and those of us who've traveled overseas uh, can attest to how easily 
other countries can pick out Americans. Generally, because of Americans are uh, uh, viewed as pretty rude and brash. Um, we tend to uh, not take into consider, uh, consideration other cultures and just go in and just be our own selves. Which again, I know people come to our culture and we think it's strange sometimes when they don't do things our way. And you can generally pick things out when a foreigner comes to our country because they haven't necessarily assimilated. But whether you like it or not, if you visit another country as an American, you are representing America. Right? Okay, how many times, and I, I, I still thank God for this. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. And I'll tell, I've used this illustration before, but praise God for it. I would come and meet uh, one of the volleyball kids or the football kids or the track kids' parents. And they're like, oh, you're Gideon's father. Oh, you're Micah's father. Oh, you're Lydia's dad. They're just wonderful kids. They come to our house. They were here for dinner, and they're just as a what. And I'm like, they were so helpful. They cleaned up the dishes. They, you know, they vacuumed. They uh, rode the yard. They, they, you know. And I would have to, you mean this kid? This one? I can't get him to pick up his socks. And you're telling me he was the most helpful child when you get, and at home, okay, maybe not. But it was nice to see that, the ch- that our kids represented our family well when they went out to someplace else. Okay, isn't that a nice moment? Okay, I'll tell you the opposite end of the story. Uh, and, and if you do this on purpose, I'm going to smack you. I'll love you, but I'll smack you in Christ. Okay, I do, I, it really irks me when people lip smack when they're eating. You with me? They take a bite in there. Okay, from my, my grandfather on, that was something was not put up with in our house. And uh, listen, if you need more fix-a-dent, hook your false teeth in better. That just is a sound that just bugs me. And uh, it's so funny, when, you, when kids would come visit the house, you know, from school to visit my family, and we'd be eating and we'd pray and everything, and we were all being nice around the table, and one of them was just going... <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me, I'm going to go eat in the living room. Okay, because you have different standards in your family. Well, isn't it nice to know that your children might go out and represent you well? Even though you might go, are you this child? Oh, yeah, he dug a swimming pool with a spoon out in the backyard. He was great. Like, that one? Why aren't you like that at home? Yeah, but the point is, whether you like it or not, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are salt. We are light. Okay, and as we read these verses together, you can see there's a way you can be successful as salt or not. You could be successful as light or not. So the question today is, if we are these things, how successful are we at being these things? Okay, uh, I put this down here. If this is important, you are it, not what you do. And there's a quote at the bottom that I say all the time. I have it in my mind. God is more interested in you being what he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do. You know how many Christians, quote unquote, in this world are running around doing things for God, but they are not being the person God wants them to be. And again, just like we talked about a few minutes ago, you do not impress God by doing 
You impress God by being. My children, when they went out to other places, and you say, wow, they, they were being a polite person at this person's home, and it was a re- much appreciated to the point where they told us about it. Okay? They were being the person that they were supposed to do, not, being, not just doing the things they were supposed to do. So God is saying, you are salt, you are light. Now, because of you being those things, how are you acting? And that's the question. That's where it's important that we understand this. If you and I are running around trying to do certain things to impress people, and guys, I'm telling you, there are Christian denominations, Christian religious groups in this world that the people go to church for an hour or two a week, and they do the things they're supposed to do, but the rest of the time, the the rest of the six and a half days that they're out in this world, they don't live like a Christian one bit because they're not being who God wants them to be. They're just doing a few things to look like a Christian. God doesn't want that. And how do we know that? Because he just went ahead and told us eight things of what we should be. Now he says, now that you know what I want you to be, now go out in the world and show that. Now go do, and we'll sum that up at the end of the service here this morning. So, God is more interested in us being. So, let's go. Okay, Acts, what does it say? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. That word shall we look at in our language today. You will be witnesses. Not you might be. Not you could be. Not hope you are. You shall be. You're going to go out and people are going to look at your life and they're going to decide whether or not they want to have anything to do with Christians because of you. How many of you have heard the phrase, you may be the only Bible somebody reads? Okay. So what are we going to talk about salt? Oops. One more slide here. You cannot compartmentalize your witnessing. You shall be witnesses, right? You're going to be evangelists. You are salt. You, you can't shut it off. Well, we witness. We go out and, and do our door knocking, our visitation between uh, 6 and 8 on Thursdays, and that's what I'm going to witness for the Lord. No. Everywhere you go, every moment of every day, 365, 24-7, you are a witness. We don't just shut it off. You don't get to say, oh, I'm not a Christian today. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. And that's why sometimes when people from America go to other countries and they don't realize they represent America and people are watching. And if you're going to act brash and rude and, and you know, self-absorbed and uh, what's the word uh, I'm looking for where you just deserve stuff. Entitled, that's the word I was looking for, thank you. That that reflects and people go, pfft. Americans. Because whether we like it or not, people are watching. And that's the key. Jesus says, you are salt, you are light. Okay? Keep going. People notice a difference between light and dark, between salty and sweet. Very evident. How many of you can tell when it's dark? Okay. As long as you have good eyes that work, you know, if you turn the light switch on, you don't necessarily have to go, hmm, I wonder if it's going to get light. Okay, when it gets light, it's light. Okay, how many, 
heard this illustration, and I've had this happen before. Not to me, thankfully, but uh, practical joke. Uh, having a sugar bowl that's not full of sugar. Having a sugar bowl that's full of salt. And you pass that across the table for somebody to put in their coffee. Do you think you noticed it was salty? Okay, it's really not that hard to understand. These are things that are very evident. If something, my, uh, I boiled the noodles downstairs, uh, not downstairs, for the potluck at the house. I boiled noodles last night. And if, if you're a, a good Italian, will tell you, always boil your noodles with salt in the water. Okay, it just makes them better. But I dumped them out and uh, didn't tell my wife yet. I hadn't rinsed them off. So she went over, grabbed one of those penne noodles and went, whoa, that's so salty. Something that's easily recognized, light and salt. Um, Is it something that's easily recognized in our lives? Or do we go through a life on a weekly basis and then somebody says, oh, brother so-and-so is a Christian. Really? I would have never known that. I don't know about you. I can tell when it's light and dark pretty easy. Do people say, Jesus is saying, listen, you are. Are you a bright light or are you shut off? Something you ought to notice. Do people notice you're a Christian? Or do you have to explain it to them? Oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, you go to church? Yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian? You know what's great? When somebody winds up coming to you and saying, um, are you a Christian? Because they notice it. Should be pretty evident. Shame on us if it's not. You are a witness. What is your life telling people? Is it darkness or light? If it's salty or sweet? I don't know. I, I tend to lean to the salty better than sweet anyway. Okay. Notes, both are very useful. Keep going. Okay, salt in the Bible. A couple of things here just to remind us about salt. Sometimes we think of salt or for its savoriness, what the Bible just talked about, that you sprinkle it on food. I love the Food Network. Okay, I like watching Chopped. Okay, where they give you some really wacko ingredients and you have to cook it and make a nice dish out of it, or these competitions. But you know what? Almost every show, one of the judges will say, this is really good, but it doesn't have enough salt because it's something that enhances the flavor. We know that for sure. We think about that. In the Bible, here in Matthew, that's the number one point. He says if, it doesn't, if it's lost its savor, okay, it's worthless. But there's other things in the Bible that the salt has talked about. When we went through Leviticus, I'm not going to go back there, but the book of Leviticus in three different places tells us that you have to offer every sacrifice with salt. There's not a single sacrifice that is offered that doesn't contain salt. Okay, that is the preserving. It is the part that reminds us. You, God said, don't do it. It's important that each and every sacrifice. And that was a picture that to remind them that there will be a sacrifice that beats all sacrifices. Okay, that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. And it's not by the blood of bulls and goats or any of that other stuff, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Every single sacrifice had to have salt on it. If it didn't, you didn't offer it. And number two, uh, the Bible talks about the covenant of salt. Okay, you didn't know all this stuff about salt was in the Bible, right? God has made a covenant of salt. And 
not, some of the old cultures have disappeared, but you still can find this in the Middle Eastern cultures. But back then, a covenant assault is if you went to someone's tent to have supper and they provided food for you and they seasoned that food with salt, that was a covenant that they were offering to saying, as long as you are with me, you are under my protection. Okay, you, we, we are going to make a covenant of salt. And the Bible says in three different places that God has made a covenant of salt with Israel that I am promising my protection over you. Okay, another interesting thing about salt is uh, when Elijah uses salt to heal the waters. Okay, you can go to the first Kings and look at that, where the waters were sour, bitter, and he throws a whole block of salt in there, and it purifies. Okay, God, God gives us a lot of interesting concepts about salt. It is a preservation, it's a protection, it's, it basically helps you to purify if you remember how important it is for rivers of living water you can go read that passage if you want i just didn't want to preach an hour and a half message this morning um that you'll be like a tree planted planted by the rivers of water well in that illustration that river of water was purified through the salt okay keep going our speech is supposed to be seasoned with salt okay and this is where it comes into a little bit more when he says salt has lost its savor let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Okay? If you and I are salt, there's some parts there that we need to realize that are an important part of us going out and being a witness. Okay? We show God's protection, His prosperity, we show His preservation. We also show that there's a, I want to say sweetness. To, I'm a savory person, right? My wife always says, you want some ice cream? No, I'll go eat some potato chips or something. I like the salty. To me, that's better than the sweet, that there's a, a desirable taste with that saltiness. God says, um, your speech needs to be seasoned with salt. We'll talk about that a little bit more because it doesn't just mean you need to have a, a pleasant way of speaking, okay, that your speech ought to cause these things to be evident in your life. Okay, it should be something that's upfront. okay? Um, keep going. Has lost its savor, and this is the one that I wanted to bring us to, especially in regards to our speech. Um, comes from the greek word moros found that interesting moros it's that word savor um there's a really 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 uh famous word that you and i use about people all the time that this word comes from it's the same word i think it got it written on there don't i you moron it means stupidity foolishness simpleton that's the basis for this word so what Bible is saying is let your speech be not foolishness. The Bible says you are salt of the earth, and if your salt has lost its savor, if you've become a moron, I'm sorry, but that's the word. Okay, the, well, in other words, it's insepid that they use there, but the, the foundation for this word is silly, foolish, Jesus said, 
If you're going to be my witness, please don't be a moron. Don't be foolish. If you have your word, have your word seasoned with salt. Okay, what is the opposite of foolish? Wise. Right? How do we get God's wisdom? We got it right here, don't we? Okay, and again, we could go ahead and verse by verse chase that through the Bible. We know we become wise by using the word of God. Man, I can go everywhere with this. You know how much unsavory speech is going on in this world right now? Or moronic speech? Foolishness that is against the truth of God's word? Now, see, I want us to see how all this ties together. This salt that he's talking about reminds us that it is not based on foolishness. It is based upon the wisdom of God's word. Told you all that to round, round it down to Jesus is saying, listen, if you've lost your savor, if you are not wise in your speech, if you are not wise in the way you are acting, then you are a moron. Don't be salt that's moronic. Be salt that is wise. Okay? It is useful. It is something that is acceptable in God's sight. We are, are we salt? Job, when we were studying God, uh, uh, Job says, um, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Now, we just talked about this. I love This could be a theme verse for all those judging shows on the Food Network. Okay? You know, I, there's a couple of things. People say, well, when you start getting heart issues when you're older, you'll have to cut all salt out of your diet. Okay, you heard that before, right? A couple things, man. You know what? It is hard to eat a hard-boiled egg without a little bit of salt on it. Oh, man. Ah, it's not, the, it's not even close to the same. Okay? There's certain things where <sighs> you may visit a place like the Philippines and they put a plate of food in front of you and you're thankful to them and to the Lord for what they give you and you take one forkful and you say, can I please have some salt? Because salt generally makes things more savory. So the question then is, if this is reflection of foolishness versus wisdom and our lives, we are salt, we can make things savory, desirable, or we can make it undesirable. When people look at our lives, is it something they say, I want what they have? Or they look at that and say, if that's what a Christian is, not interesting. And you know, I've heard both sides of the story. I've heard people say, wow, they're such a great example of, uh, I could can, I can believe they're a Christian because they just live a life that shows that they love God. But I've also heard people too many times say, man, they are so hypocritical. If that's what it's like to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. What kind of salt are we? Are we savory? We make things better? Or the Bible says it needs to get thrown out and trodden underfoot. Next slide. Salt needs to be applied. Now, this is the best part of it. You know what? Uh, how good does salt do if it stays in the salt shaker? Okay, man, I got these hard-boiled eggs, and there's the salt. Does me no good if it sits in the salt shaker, does it? 
Now, I might think about, uh, this sounds a little corny, but you know what? We come here and God says we're the salt, but you know what? If we're salt, it does no good if we stay in the salt shaker. If you're a witness, you've got to go take it out where people who need to hear it are. It does no good in the salt shaker, guys. And this is one of the problems I think sometimes we have here at Bethel. We love the Word of God. We love learning the Word of God. We love growing in the Word of God. It's exciting. Every time we take a good bite out of God's Word and chew on it, it's, oh, we grow and learn. And Dan's teaching, I'm teaching, you're sharing the Word of God together, and we get so excited about what we can learn. But it's doing absolutely no good if it stays in the shaker. We've got to take it out into this world. Because, you know, I, I don't mind being a witness to you guys. But most of you already know the Lord. We need to take it outside these walls and share it with people who need to hear it. Keep going. The light of the world. I want you to notice this is not our light. This is his light. It says, you are the light of the world. And there's a whole lot more there to get into. Break it down uh, briefly in a moment. But this is Jesus himself. Then spake Jesus again unto them and said, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is that light of the world. We just talked about it out of the highways and byways of life, right? Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing out of my life. May Jesus shine. I think you know where I'm going with this. Keep going. In the Bible, the sun pictures God quite often. Okay? It is the light that he has chosen to illuminate this planet. Okay, now granted, we've invented some pretty cool things that produce light, but God, right from Genesis, okay, he made two lights, one greater, one lesser. Okay, the sun and the moon. Okay, amazingly, the sun pictures the Trinity. Here's a commercial for you. There are three parts to sunlight. Okay, number one, the part you can see. Number two, the part you can't see, but you feel. Okay, how many of you didn't realize you were getting a sunburn because you didn't think you were sitting in the sun? But all of a sudden, you were burnt to a crisp because there's parts of the sun, of his rays, that you don't necessarily see it, but you feel it. And then number three, there's a part of the sun that is in, unapproachable. You would die if you approached it. Interesting the way that God pictures that. And uh, in Malachi, and we'll reference the verse here in a minute, Jesus Christ is called the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Okay, throughout the Bible, God uses the Son as a picture of His light, His glory. Okay, keep going. The moon is a picture of a Christian. A Christian has no light of himself. This is what we're talking about. Even though we say we are the light of the world, it's not our light. Okay, the moon is just a big old dead rock. Okay, that's me. I'm dead. There's nothing good about me. The only thing good is I get a chance to reflect the light that Jesus has given me. That's how the moon works, right? Um, even Job says it. Behold, even the moon, and it shineth not. Even Job. Now this is, for those who studied Job with me a few months back, 
Isn't it amazing that the earliest book in the scripture written, now I know Genesis is written about the earliest events, but the earliest book written was the book of Job. Job knew that the moon did not shine. He didn't have telescopes. He didn't have Gamaliel or, you know, all these other fellows to tell him. Gamaliel, that's not Galileo. Gamaliel is the wrong guy. Okay, Aristotle, these guys to tell him how space works. He just knew that the moon never shined its own light. That it always reflected the light of the sun. Now, that's you and me. Okay, keep going. There are two. Oh, notice. We live in a time of darkness. Now, we can get into a lot of prophecy here, and I'm trying to cut this short. It's hard, because there's so much here. But um, if Jesus is the light of the world, where's Jesus right now? Is he in the world? That's not a trick question. Is Jesus here in this world? Okay. Physically, is Jesus' body walking around here on this planet? No. No, he is not. Okay. And the Bible tells us over and over that we live in a time of darkness right now. Okay, so the light of the world, who is Jesus, is not here. The only ones who are here are those who can reflect his light in the darkness. Okay, that's why this is so important. We live in a time of darkness. The only way people in this world are going to see Jesus is when this person shines it. Because Jesus himself is not here. Okay, and I'm telling you how many scriptures were in the... the the Pharisees were complaining about the, the Jesus' disciples and how they were celebrating and they weren't washing their hands and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus said, listen, when the Son of God is here, it's the time to celebrate. When he leaves, it's going to be a time of darkness. Of course they're going to celebrate. I'm with them. Jesus isn't here right now. He's left the message and the method of sharing the gospel to you and me. We're the reflectors. We're the ones here to shine. Okay, please, you are a light. Now, the question is, what kind of light are you? Okay, someday the Son of Righteousness in Malachi shall rise. Then Christians again. Until then, we reflect. And guys, how many of you, when we studied through Revelation, talks about in heaven someday there will be no need of sun, moon, or stars because God himself will give the light? Okay, this is... Man, every piece of this creation is designed exactly so God could illustrate his truth to us. So he is the light. We're the reflectors. We're the moon. We're that one is pictured. Uh, the moon is most noticeable shining its light at night when it's dark, right? You see the moon sometime during the day, but you don't need the moon, right? The moon is shining its light at its most successful during the darkness. That's where we are. Okay. Keep going. Philippians. I want you to be blameless, harmless, sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse world, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You and I are here to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. Now, remember I told you sometimes it's tough if uh, the salt has lost its savor? Doesn't make things taste good anymore. Doesn't do any good if it's not in the salt shaker. Well, us as reflectors don't do so good either if we have a problem or two. Keep going. There are two types of eclipses in this world. A lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse. 
I think solar is first, right? You know what a solar eclipse is, right? Solar eclipse is when the moon comes between the sun and the earth. Right? So you can't see the glory of the beautiful sunshine because the moon is not reflecting it anymore. The moon stands in between. Do you know how many Christians, how many televangelists and others get up there to talk about glorifying God, but the only thing they're doing is glorifying themselves? Look at me! And they get in the way of the sun's light. It's an amazing thing. Moon is supposed to be reflecting the light of the sun, but sometimes it gets completely in the way. And we don't get, we block out God's glory because we put ourselves first. The other kind of eclipse is a lunar eclipse. You know what a lunar eclipse is, right? It's when the earth comes between the sun and the moon. So all of a sudden, you don't see the moon reflecting anymore because the moon becomes completely dark because it's completely filled with the shadow of the earth. Pictures of believer that's blocked out by the world. We can't reflect. Because we're covered with the dirt of this world. Great illustration for me. I used to do a lot of mudding when I was a teenager with my buddies. They, you know, uh, Broncos and, you know, big old Ford F-150s and big mudder tires out in the woods and stuff. And and you would get completely... Matter of fact... You were absolutely the best uh, driver that day if your car, you couldn't tell what color it was. Okay, if it was completely covered with mud and you couldn't see any paint, okay, but one of the interesting things about that is the mirrors would get covered, especially the mirrors. Them front tires would be going, you know, just, and you'd get back on the highway and you'd be driving home and you'd look and you'd realize I can't see a thing out of that mirror because it's completely covered with dirt can't reflect one bit because there's just too much dirt on it well a lunar eclipse is exactly that way the cares and concerns and pleasures of this world cover up the moon and make it unable to shine back that sun's light there's so much biblically in just jesus saying you're a salt and you are light we have the opportunity we are both The question is, what kind of salt are we? Are we salt that's lost his savor? We are foolish? And we're not useful to God anymore? And God says, listen, I'll just trot you under the foot. Are we still in the salt shaker? God's given us a lot of information, a lot of truth, a lot of love for people, but we're not taking it out to where it's needed. Are we light? God says, you are the light of the world, but are we stepping in God's way and we're more interested about how we look and we're blocking out God's glory because we're stepping in the way ourselves or number two have we been so dirtied up by the world that we can't reflect back anything it's interesting keep going the Bible says let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven Notice something. We love this verse. We probably, some of us can quote it from memory. 
But there's something very interesting about the way this is worded. There are Christians nowadays who sort of do stealth witnessing. Okay, secret, uh, you know, evangelism. Meaning, people are going to look at my life and see all the wonderful things that I do, and that will lead them to Jesus. That is not what this verse says. Let me ask you a question. If you run into somebody who's motivated to clothe the needy, does that make them a Christian? Maybe they're feeding the hungry. Does that make them a Christian? Maybe, maybe they're giving money to, to great charitable organizations. Does that make them a Christian? But people will look at this verse and they'll take it that way. Oh, if I'm, if I, they'll see my good works and glorify God which is in heaven. You must go out first and shine before men. The only way people are going to know that you're doing this because you're a Christian is when you tell them that God is your God and you're a Christian. Then they'll look at your good works and say, oh, they're doing all these things because they're glorifying their heavenly father. This world is full of people who do do good things. But people don't just look at somebody who does a good thing and say, oh, they must love God and they're a Christian. I know a lot of people who do things in service of other religions that have nothing to do with God. I know atheists who don't believe in a God at all who do lots of good things. Jesus is not telling us to go out and do these good things that the Beatitudes spell out and people will know you're a Christian. He says, go out and show them you're a Christian and then when they see the good things you're doing, then they'll know you're doing it because of your Father which is in heaven. What's the phrase I got at the bottom here, guys? We got to open our mouth. If we're not reflecting the light of Jesus and sharing it with others, if we're not being the salt that we need to be, no matter what kind of good works we do makes no difference. If we're not going out there and being the witnesses that we need to be. So don't stop doing good stuff because Jesus says it right here. He says they'll see your good works and glorify God in, in heaven. But not if they don't know that's why we're doing it. And how are they going to know that? When you tell them why you're doing it. So many people, oh, they're going to see me feeding the hungry and it's a good Christian thing to do. They don't know that, especially in this world today. Maybe 40, 50, 60 years ago, it was the good Christian thing to do. How many of you ever heard people say that? Oh, that's the good Christian thing to do. Ha! In this world today, that's a joke. So people are doing good things, but that doesn't necessarily point people to Jesus. You know what points people to Jesus? Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Go out there and tell people who your Savior is. Then when they say, so that's why you work the way you work, you do the things you do, that's why you're so loving and forgiving and merciful. Because you believe in God. Yes. Don't think just because you did something nice for somebody that they automatically think that, oh, I'm giving them uh, their God the glory for it. 
they don't know unless we say it. We're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're supposed to go into this world and share it with everyone. Then they will know our good works and they will glorify our God, which is in heaven. Folks, we're getting close to the time that our Savior is going to come. Now that, I'm not laying that on you as a heavy. I hope every one of you smile when you hear that phrase. It won't be much longer. But the thing that should make us a little sober is that that means we don't have that much more time. And even in my own life, I know sometimes it's easy to live as a Christian but not necessarily speak as a Christian. I want to know something that's really interesting. I didn't put this. This is a commercial one. I'm trying not to go long, but I've got to put this in here. Mark tells the same story. Jesus says, number one, why would you have a light and hide it under a bushel? Mark says, why would you have a light, hide it under a bushel, or put it in a bed? And it's interesting. He gives us two things that reflect a, a witness, salt and light. He gives us two things that hinder our witness. And that is a bushel and a bed. Now, a bushel in the scripture over and over and over, it talks about our employment, where we get our daily goods. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that maybe our job stands in the way of our witness? Well, I wouldn't want to be known as a Jesus freak. You know how hard it might be at my job because if they knew I was a Christian... You know, a lot of people say we, we don't witness as Christians because sometimes uh, we're afraid. You know, well, sometimes it might just interfere with our money. The other thing, Mark says, or you might hide it in a bed. What happens in a bed? You're either asleep or you're lazy. You know, a lot of Christians don't go out and share the gospel because they're just lazy. They're just sleeping it off how many times did jesus say awake come out from your slumber realize how important this is i just find it interesting that he gives us two tied with this story in the other gospel there are two things that could hinder your light and your salt and that is hiding it under a bushel or keeping it in the bed guys we don't have much more time I would love to hear next week that many of us got a chance to share our faith with somebody. Not just do nice something, do something nice. Not just serve them, not just reach out in love with them, not give them a coat or hand them a, a burger or, or pray for them, but actually say, I got to tell somebody about my Savior Jesus Christ this week. Jesus said, You are a witness. You are a light. You are salt. What kind of witness, what kind of light, what kind of salt are we? Did I put that up there? Oh, yes, I did. Are you still in the shaker? Are you in eclipse or is your light shining? Let's pray. Father, I, I, I want to stand here this morning not like some sort of authority. Father, please, I don't want it to come across that way. Father, I am just as slack in this as anybody else. Lord, there are times... Where, yeah, I might be acting like the Christian you want. I'm doing the Christian things. But am I actually out there being the light that I need to be? 
And Lord, maybe I'm actually reaching out and, and, and helping somebody, but am I doing it in the name of Jesus Christ? Or am I just expecting somebody might think I'm a good person and that's somehow going to osmosis its way to them hearing about Jesus? Father, it's so important. We were left here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we're out in this world this next week and we get opportunities to do something that reflects who you are, that we would first take the opportunity to share the reason we are doing these things because we have a Savior who is the hope of the earth. Father, I just pray you help us to understand we are a witness. People will look at our lives and they will make a decision about how a Christian acts by our life. Lord, help us to be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. Say this often. Don't just live like a Christian. Go out and tell somebody about Jesus. Amen? Love you. Those of you joining us for, uh, for food downstairs, if you get to...